Let's talk about the issues that we had last week with the smoke in the air with a man who is an expert on that, University of Connecticut professor Douglas Brage, who is studying the effects of in-home air filtration on personal health and also was quite a active last week talking to lots of media sources about all the pollution from the Canadian forest fires that we had in the air. Professor, thank you for joining me for today. And what was that week like for you last week? Have you ever seen an outbreak of pollution in the air from fires like we saw last week? Yeah, I, I have not experienced uh, it personally myself. I, obviously, I've seen news coverage when it's in California or various other parts of the world. But uh, yeah, that was the worst I've seen in the Northeast. What is contained in wildfire smoke and why was that a potential health threat last week? Right. So um, what we're mostly concerned about are, are, are particulate matter, which are very, very tiny uh, solids or liquids uh, suspended in the air. And, and in the case of wildfire smoke, it's a combustion product. And these uh, tiny particulates uh, that come from combustion are very, very toxic. Uh, so, uh, what, you know, one of um, particulate matter air pollution uh, globally is one of the top five causes of illness and death in the world. So, so it's it's a really big problem. the The particulates from wildfire are less toxic than the particulates from diesel exhaust or burning coal or or other fossil fuels, but but um. But they're still toxic, and they're still bad for you. And you breathe them in, and they go. They can get the smaller ones can get all the way down into your lungs, and they have uh, a, a wide range of adverse uh, health effects on people. It was bad here, but it was really bad. New York, Philadelphia, and a few towns off to our south and west. But last night, we had rain around here. There still is some of that particulate matter in the air. Does a rain event like last night bring that stuff down and get it out of the air, at least temporarily? Uh, it, it gets the larger particles out. So, um, so yeah, I, I think what I saw from yesterday to today uh, uh, in the Hartford area was uh, that it went down. I think it was up around 80 or not, the air quality index was around 80 or 90, and now it's down uh, below 30. So, uh, yes, I think the, the, um, the rain uh, helps. Now, in the wake of that storm last night, the winds will shift around from yesterday's winds from the south and southeast, and today there'll be northerly winds, winds coming in from the north. Does that mean we might be at risk of having those numbers go up again today as that northerly breeze brings down some more of that ash from Canada? Yeah, I, I wasn't paying attention to the wind direction, but I, if it's coming from the north, that's a problem. And, you know, I, I'm not a meteorologist. I don't follow the, uh, the weather patterns that much, but my sense is that usually the air is moving from south to north here. And so it's a little unusual last week, and, and again this week, if, if what you're saying is correct, that it's coming from the north, and, and that, that's a big problem with uh, wildfires in Canada. You just mentioned that you noticed the numbers yesterday in the last couple of days. What do you use as a statistical basis for what the air quality is? Like last week, what was your source? Uh, yeah, I was just following the air quality index, but, uh, but you could also look at the... So the, 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 the air quality index in, in that situation is driven almost entirely by uh, the small particulates, the respirable particles, which are PM 2.5 or particulate matter 
that's 2.5 microns and smaller. A micron is a millionth of a meter. And uh, uh, so you could also look at the EPA networks, and there are also private networks of, of monitors that, that showed the, uh, the PM2.5 levels. Um, so that's a good thing to follow. And, and the levels were, you know, were, were as high or higher than they are in, in, in places we now associate it with having uh, awful pollution episodes like Beijing or Delhi or Tehran or whatever. So, uh, so they're very unusual to have air, air pollution, particulate matter levels uh, that high. If we breathe that stuff for a continuous amount of time, is it like smoking a pack of cigarettes or, or what? How does that compare to like what you get when you smoke cigarettes? Right. So uh, that's a very good comparison, in my opinion. Uh, tobacco, smoking tobacco or uh, uh, marijuana or, or anything, or, or whether it's uh, uh, maybe something that you burn, uh, having a wood stove in your a wood uh, fire wood fireplace in your house, whatever. All of those are combustion particles. The the difference with with smoking is you're inhaling concentrated smoke directly into your uh, respiratory system and down into your lungs. So the concentrations are vastly higher, but the the concern, the the toxic uh, components are very similar to wildfire smoke. Um, I don't have offhand uh, an easy reference as to how many packs of cigarettes are equal to what we were exposed to last week, but um, but certainly uh, you're with that level of ambient pollution, you're getting up to the to levels where uh, concentrations where uh, where uh, comparing it to smoking is appropriate. The particulate matter that we were breathing last week is coming from burning wood in Canada. How is that different from, say, diesel or coal fire smoke or even car exhaust? Yeah, I think that the, the car exhaust, the diesel, the coal has um, uh, some other components in it, um, some metals, um, uh, it's also uh, maybe the, the composition of the organic components is different. Uh, so I think that's why there's a, a difference in toxicity. Um, I often think about, you know, um, uh, also just if you, if you go back hundreds of thousands or millions of years, animals and our ancestors and, and, and us as, as, as early human beings were all exposed to wood smoke whether it was forest fires or whether we were cooking over it or whatever, uh, we were not exposed to the particulates that come out of a, a diesel engine or from a coal-fired power plant. So I suspect there's some, that we have some predisposition to be a little more protected against uh, natural combustion products rather than these artificial ones. But they're still not good for you. I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that that smoke was harmless. But, uh, but it's not as bad as, as the, the fossil fuel uh, combustion product. It's funny that especially in the areas like New York, who are so much worse than it was around here, the advice was to wear masks. Well, golly, after the last three years, we haven't had them laying around. But those blue surgical masks that most people wore, are they enough in a situation like this with the smoke from Canada? Or is the N95 especially important in a situation like this? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up masks because I have a lot of issues with, with the recommendations. There were two recommendations. One was to wear masks outside, often saying N95, and the other was to stay indoors. And so let, let's address both of those. Uh, so the surgical mask, the cloth mask, 
uh, it became fairly apparent. Uh, to me, it was apparent early on in, in COVID, but to the public and, and, and the larger uh, uh, media sphere, it became apparent those masks were not very effective during COVID. The N95s are more effective, although I think they're somewhat limited as well. Um, the, so, but the problem with this particulate air pollution is it's everywhere. With COVID, you might be going to the grocery store and you're going to be inside the store for 20 minutes. You could wear a mask. This air pollution is everywhere outdoors. It's, it's all over the place. You'd have to wear a mask all the time outdoors. And then the problem with recommending people stay indoors, it is true that particulate levels are, are lower indoors, but they're not, they don't go away. And in most, and there's a wide range of buildings. Some buildings have, are more protective than others. Obviously, you have the window open like I do right now. Uh, because it was humid and, and, and stuffy in here this morning, uh, then there's no protection at all from the outside air. And so uh, the indoor levels of, of particulate matter are quite high as well, and you're not going to wear a mask all day long indoors uh, and all night while you're sleeping and then all the time outdoors. So I think there's a practical problem with, um, with masks as a, as a solution to this kind of air pollution uh, episode. And if you stay indoors in a situation like we had last week, and I think with all those fires up there, it could be coming back, maybe not to the levels we had last week, and you turn the air conditioning on, how much of a factor is that in improving the indoor air quality? Well, so I, it depends on what you mean by air conditioning. If you have a forced air system that's recirculating air inside and it has a good filtration in it, that's going to be pretty helpful. If you have a window unit and it's blowing outside air through a, a very low-grade filter, uh, I don't. that may even make it worse. I don't know. It might make it better. Um, so, but what I, what I think is, is, is more, so if you, if you are in a building, if you live in a building or work in a building uh, that does not have a high-end uh, high, uh, uh, mechanical air handling system with good filtration and recirculation, I think the next step are uh, one or another of these uh, air purifiers that you can put in a room that, that have a, a HEPA filter in them, uh, and they recirculate air. They have a fan, and they blow. And, uh, and so those are, those are we've worked a lot with those. You, you introduced me as doing studies. We're doing a, a randomized trial of air purifiers near the highway outside of Boston currently. Um, and we can show that, that they are effective at reducing indoor particulate levels relative to outdoors. Um, the one problem with air purifiers is that most of the best commercial units are fairly expensive. But there is an alternative to that, which is to build your own air purifier. And there's something called a Corsi-Rosenthal box, which is four uh, uh, filters. Uh, they're not a HEPA level. They're, they're, they're MERV um, uh, 13. I'm going to have to switch you from my headphone speaker. Can you still hear me okay? You sound great. Okay. Uh, so my headphone is dying. battery is dying. But uh, uh, these Corsi Rosenthal boxes, uh, you can build them yourself. The materials cost a little over $60. Um, we have people at, at UConn and the, and the um, UConn Health who have built hundreds of them and distributed them to classrooms and to homes uh, in the Hartford area. The, the starting point was an interest in in COVID, in reducing the potentially reducing the, the viral load indoors and, and reducing risk of infection, but um, but we've we've moved on to also thinking about with this 
with this recent episode, thinking about, uh, and not just thinking about, giving them out to people so they could take them home and uh, and and use them uh, in their homes as well. So, so I'm a bigger fan of air purifiers than I am of wearing a mask all the time. Yes, in fact, as you said, Yukon Health did give out a couple hundred of those uh, air filters just last week. Some assembly required, but a lot of people picked those up. And speaking of that, let me go back a couple of years. Uh, maybe you can talk about this, that Yukon students built air filters out of furnace filters, a fan, and duct tape, and it successfully trapped the COVID-19 virus. Can you kind of sum up how that worked? Right. So, so this is a project headed up by uh, an amazing uh, nurse practitioner in the in the um, MS Center at, at, at UConn Health, uh, named Marina Creed, and she launched this this, this campaign to uh, build these Corsi Rosenthal boxes. And get them out. Her focus was really initially the schools, getting them into classrooms, and very effective at getting them out into classrooms, getting people to use them. Um, you say trap the the virus. I think it does trap the virus. We don't have you know scientific data on how much virus was trapped or how much aerosol virus was reduced, but um, but there's good reason to think that that there's a, that these have a, a, a potential benefit uh, for the virus, but also for any other particulates uh, that, that are in the air as well. And let me take a little side trip here that besides the work that you do, including this work on, on air pollution and the like, uh, you also love photography. It says here, which you've done since you were in college, in the last few years, you've refined your technique to take reflection photos and you put one on your website that shows you have a sense of humor. You want to describe to the listening audience exactly what that picture I'm talking about is and where you got the inspiration to be able to do something like this? It's different. Right. Yeah. So that's really interesting. You did a little research on me. Um, I mostly post them on Facebook, and I've posted probably over a thousand of them on Facebook, but I put one of them on my professional um, site at UConn. Um, so this was, a, this was a, it was a chance thing. I've, I've done photography like you said, from since college, uh, I did some photojournalism earlier in my life. At, at a certain point when my daughter was young, I did a lot of photography of her. Um, and, um, and then uh, I took a picture. It was in the Charles River outside Boston. The river was just flat, like glass, and there was a reflection of a tree, and I took the picture, and I posted it on Facebook, and, and I'm friends with a guy who was a cinematographer in Hollywood, um, and he looked at it, I think he was joking, and he said, oh, it's upside down, and he flipped it over for me. I thought, oh, right, you can turn it over, and then I started looking at, at images in the water that were not so glass-like, where there was distortion, where there was a little bit of waves or some foam or, or, or whatever, and, and, and I found that they became increasingly interesting. And the, and the one that I posted that you looked at has a, a couple of, of ducks, I believe, maybe they're geese, I can't remember, uh, swimming through the reflection. It looks like they're, they're swimming in the sky. So it's been a, that, you know, the reflection photos have been a lot of fun. They've gotten a lot of great reactions on my Facebook page. And, and I, what I'd like to say is, uh, uh, it's probably the the one thing I do that is almost always enjoyable and without uh, <laughs> any kind of downside to it. So, uh, so it's a great it's a 
you know, it's it's for entertainment. It's not my my professional life, but I, I do enjoy enjoy it a lot. No, I enjoyed that. And going back to the air pollution from last week from the Canadian forest fires. I don't want to bring up that dreaded M word, meteorology again, but it's notable that this has been a very dry month in Connecticut. In fact, after we got about a tenth of an inch of rain on the second, we had very little rain for the next week and a half or thereabouts. Do you feel that might have been a factor in why some of this stuff got down and stayed in the air longer than it might have done in a more wet or more normal weather pattern? Yeah, uh, that seems logical to me, but again, I'm, you know, I've, I study air pollution, not meteorology, so I don't know the details of how the weather systems were functioning, but like I said before, I, it, it seems unusual to me that the, that the air was moving from north to south that consistently for a long period of time. I, usually, I, you know, just for my own interest, I, I pay attention to the, whether it's going to rain or snow, and it's almost always coming up from the south, right? That, that's it's a fairly unusual thing to be to be coming from the north. It does happen, but but fairly rare. Oh, you're right about the directions, and I also think that at this time of the year, you do get a more southerly component, but you don't get the northerly component for as long as we had it most of last week, and I believe that certainly exacerbated bringing down all that Canadian smoke. Really fascinating stuff, Professor. Thank you for joining me this morning. Well, it was a pleasure, and I uh, thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> you bet. Professor Douglas Brage from UConn Health talking about the air pollution of last week and maybe more to come on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.